listening. I know it's late. You probably want to go take a nap or get on with, the, with your life, but you give me 45 minutes, we'll talk about marine animations. This is near and dear to my heart because I'm bordered in toxicology and hyperbarics. Those are my two hobbies. Toxicology especially is a hobby since it doesn't pay. Um, <laughs> it's kind of fun, but it's kind of fun to use antidotes. What, one out of a thousand patients you get to use the antidotes? That's kind of cool. But I used to be a marine biologist. That was my first career. I used to work at Duke Marine Lab. My specialty was barnacle sex. Yep, that was me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Male and female in one shell. Is it bliss or is it hell? I don't know if you know this, but barnacles are hermaphrodites, and even though they're tempted to do it with themselves, they know they'll go blind or whatever, they actually mate with other barnacles, and they have a very long appendage to do that. And that was my specialty for years. And I looked around at the other people that had, you know, I, was getting, I had my master's in marine biology, and I was working, and I looked at all the other PhDs in marine biology, and I looked at what they were doing with their careers. Let's see. One was working at the hardware store, and I knew I didn't know the difference between number two and number three screw, so I knew that wasn't a good future for me. And another guy was making big bucks in real estate. So most people with PhDs in marine biology were not petting dolphins and, you know, <laughs> playing flipper every day or mucking around in the intertidal pool if you were even lucky. Most of us were struggling for grants. And I said, you know what? Running ambulance is a lot more fun. I'm going to be in emergency medicine. And that's when I switched. So you, there's a lot of dangerous things out in the ocean. That's why it's fun, right? It's cool. You know, every time you come out, you're, you, you see a sigh of relief that you made it through another day in the ocean alive and without a great white taking a chunk out of you. But there are more dangerous things out there than you would realize than great whites, right? Um, this baby is even more dangerous. So one day I was in the Red Sea. Uh, anybody, how many of you guys are divers? Any divers in here? Good. All right. And a lot of snorkelers, right? A lot of floaters, all right? Uh, I don't know what the technical term for that is. <laughs> Floater, sinker. And anybody dive the Red Sea? Not yet. You got to do it. It's amazing. But well, it's so amazing and so crowded, they even have ice cream boats that come by. That's how crowded that, that, that diving area is. But anyway, certain parts of the Red Sea. But I was diving, and I wanted to get my clownfish, you know, all set up. You know, I got my macro lens. This is the day before you could change. You couldn't change your lens underwater. It floods your camera. This is before uh, digital. And I'm sitting there, and I got everything focused on this clownfish. I'm trying to take it, and somebody hits, somebody hits me on the leg. And I go, that's pretty rude. And I look around, and there's nobody around me. There's no divers. My wife's like a couple hundred yards ahead of me. She left me already. Um, not literally, but. And there's a lot of divers out in the blue. So... I go, man, they, they must, everybody must be chasing something cool like a shark. I'll join them after I finish shooting this clownfish. So I don't know. So I go back to work, and I get hit again. I go, I must have touched the reef. One thing you never do is you don't touch the reef, right? It's got a very protective mucosal layer, and it destroys the reef every time you mess with it. That's why you don't wear gloves when you go diving in tropical areas. You, know, you don't mess with stuff. You don't touch things. And I look. No, I'm pretty clear. I got my buoyancy all set. I'm not hitting anything. So suddenly... I take my macro and I turn it, and there in my view is this baby, the male Titan trigger fish. Anybody ever met one of these babies? They inhabit all uh, tropical waters from the Indian Ocean to the South Pacific, and they own the ocean one day a year. And the day of the year they own it is the day the female Titan trigger decides to lay the eggs. And for that day, the male will fight to the death to protect those eggs. 
So the next thing I know, the thing is starting to smile. I go, good, I got a mackerel. Maybe I can shoot a picture of its eye or its mouth, you know, get it maybe in the bracket. And I start thinking, this fish doesn't want to, it's not very photogenic. In fact, the fish start lashing out at me and attacking and attacking and attacking, grabbing my fins, thrashing about, trying to destroy my fins, anything that has to do anything with me to try to protect its progeny, the future, right? The future Titan triggers. And they warn you about this when you dive in the Red Sea. Do not mess with a male Titan trigger on, the, on his honeymoon night. You do, not, you do not go near this fish. It's worse than a shark. It will fight you to the death. And it looks, oh, things always look bigger underwater. So this fish looked like this big. It was probably this big. But for the story, we're going to say it was this big. And the thing just kept lashing out at me. So I kept swimming downstream to join my wife. The thing just kept following me, lashing out. And finally, some other yahoo shows up at the nest. And the fish looks at me, looks at him, winks, turns around. And next thing you know, you see the other guy being attacked. So that's the Titan trigger, more dangerous than the Great White. And you know, there's a, here's a proof on the internet. There's even diagrams on the internet show you that you're anywhere in the territory. Here's a nest. The territory goes up, expands out. If you're in that territory, you're dead meat until you leave. Oh dear God, yes. And here's a proof. There's holes all the way through in my. These are tough polypropylene fins. You can't you can't drill a hole in these things. This thing just bit right through the thing. You know, that's a big mouth to make it that far. So the objectives for this 45-minute talk is we're going to talk about some stings, some wounds, and some unique inf infections that deal with the marine environment, right? Um, so a couple years ago, I decided to take all the American Association Poison Control data for marine envenomations in the country and find out what's going on in this country in terms of marine envenomation. And I guess you could go, aha, duh, more likely is... They go up in the summer. Not surprising. More people are active. More people go out. So that's not phenomenal data. What is sort of kind of interesting, for those years I looked at, the states that were more, most well represented, oh, let me turn this. The states that were most represented, not surprising, the coastline of California, Texas, you could understand, Florida, absolutely, number one. North Carolina, we used to get our own cases when I was working in North Carolina. <laughs> we had some good cases. New York, can you explain New York? I think it's Long Island, right? Doesn't everybody go, anybody from New York? How many millions of people go in the summer to Long Island to go to the beach? Lots. Isn't there a subway that takes you right to the ocean? L-I-R-R. Really? Long Island Railroad. Right, so tons of people go out there, right? Mm -hmm. The only way I, the one I can't really explain is Ohio. <laughs> but it was aquatic and marine envenomation, so that was kind of weird. I guess a lot of people, they don't live on the coast, so they have coast envy, so they have aquariums, I guess, because this included aquarium exposure. So, And what was represented? Number one was jellyfish. So we're going to focus a lot on that. Oh, man. Um, stingrays, lionfish, catfish, miscellaneous fish stings, man of war, and coral. And all... Some of these can happen if you have an aquarium. You can get marine envenomated even in your own home, in the privacy of your own home. So let's start with a story, because stories are the way we communicate, right? Since the time of fire of caveman or cavewoman. So your partner, and uh, this partner happens to be now a, a chair at an emergency, emergency medicine department. So it shows you how smart chairs are, okay? And <laughs> is there a chair in here that I'm 
of ending. Um, <laughs> jumps off the dock. We're getting ready to go on a dive, and I tell him, come on, the boat's going to leave. We've got to get going. So he comes back to the dock, and what's he do? He shimmies up a piling. Is that very smart? If you know about fouling, everything in the ocean gets covered with crusty things, right? And some of them are toxic. So he shimmies up, and he comes out of the water, pale, diaphoretic, gasping in pain, and here's his abdomen. So I took my, hey, I said, hold, hold still. He's screaming in pain, and I got a good shot. Um, and the pain was out of proportion to the lesion. I mean, what do you see? Yeah, it looks almost like uh, erythema, urticaria. It's a raised lesion. It's urticarial. It blanches, and it's painful. So what's the first thing they do on the dock? What do they dump on them? <laughs> now, we don't need to get kinky. I know there's no kids here, but... <laughs> Let's be adults now. <laughs> Vinegar. And what happened to his pain? Increase. He got worse. He screamed louder. So that was kind of cool. So the universal antidote, everybody goes, you know, anything you get stung in the ocean, just put vinegar on it, or maybe urine, depending on your point of view. That's not true, and I'll show you why. But vinegar in this case did not work. It actually made things worse. Um... So what he was stung for by, anybody know what this is? It's a coral. It's a colony. See all the different individual organisms? Anybody know what kind of coral this is? This is fire coral. Anybody from the East Coast, from Florida area? It grows over everything. It takes its own shape, but it also covers, in the entire Caribbean, it covers everything from lines, which are ropes, right, sheets, it covers pilings. It can take the shape of anything, dead gorgonians. And you know you hit one when you start getting sharp, excruciating pain, like electric shocks going through you when you're diving, when you run into these things. And you can see each one has those little tentacles out, ready to protect its territory, its turf. And it can cover a piling just as easily as it can make its own shape. So that's fire coral, or millipora. So millipora is a member of the Salenterata, the phylum Salenterata, which is the old-fashioned name, which is now called the Nidaria. Salenterata, you know what coelom is? The first animals were unicellular, then they made two layers of cells, and then some got smart and said, hey, if we turn into a cup, we can actually have somewhere to eat in privacy and then excrete waste, so we can be more efficient. And if we're coelom, we can swim around if we're a cup, or we can find a place to settle down, make a home, find a neighborhood, you know, live on a cul-de-sac, whatever your dream is. And so you get jellyfish and you get sea anemones or corals, all the same phylum. But the phylum no longer is called Selenorata. It's called Nidaria now. You know, anybody know what a Nidaria is or a Nidocyst is? Stinging cell, right. Because they all share stinging cells in common. And they decided that was a better way to describe these things, probably because that's the way they make our life a headache. So let's describe what the, 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 big, the big pain that these things cause. So what is an Adarian? I thought the easiest way is look at the truth and advertising package insert, right? The nutrition facts. That will tell me what an Adarian is. <laughs> so I went to the local Asian market, and you can go, have you, anybody here eaten jellyfish? Some of my fellows have eaten it. You eaten it? What does it taste like? Delicious. <laughs> like rubber? Well, the other thing it should taste like is it doesn't have, it's low in fat, so it's good. There, you get your daily requirement of sodium. Isn't that great? 
You know, I've seen people die from hyponatremia. This could have saved their life, right? So, Nadaria. Yeah, one of my fellows used to eat this. She said they put it on rice to give it some flavor. I guess it's a soy sauce substitute. <laughs> yeah, concentrated. So, in the Nadaria, they have four classes. The hydrozoans, the scyphozoans, the cubozoans, which is a new member. Nothing's changed evolutionary-wise in the last million years. It's just that we got smarter and decided that there's another class now, cubozoans, that was discovered about 10 years ago, and then anthozoans. So let's go through each of these so you know what they are. Um, so the hydrozoans are not really jellyfish. Anybody know why this is not a jellyfish? I mean, it's not really a cup. It doesn't swim around. It kind of floats. This is a man of war. It's actually a colony. And this is fire coral. It's a colony. Both of these are not considered true jellyfish. They're considered hydrozoans. In this colony, different, different members have given, assigned different jobs. It's very organized. Some are in charge of making the float so they can sail along. Others are in charge of stinging fish and killing them. Others are in charge of digestion. It's a perfect harmony. It's a whole colony. And since they float, they tend to be found on the western side of oceans, on the western side of the Pacific and the western side of the Atlantic. We used to swim out in the Atlantic. We always worried that we'd get hit by one of these, and we knew from the pain, you'd probably end up drowning. You know, you wouldn't make it back to shore. It hurts so much. So these are man-of-wars, and these are uh, fire corals. Those are the members of hydrozones. Those we don't have to worry here as much. That'd be on the East Coast. The one we really do worry more is about true jellyfish, right? So like I told you, these are hydrozones, these are scyphozones. They will not have children. There's not going to be inter any, any interbreeding. They're a totally different class. And then there's a new member of the new class, the cubozones. And the cubozones used to be thought, oh, you're just a stupid jellyfish. They're not stupid, and they're not regular jellyfish. Number one, they all have four sets of tentacles, so they're a cube. And at each cube at the base is a compound eye. These things are actual hunters. They actually seek and hunt you out or a fish out. Uh, I mean, look how sophisticated that eye is. And we have the sea wasp in the Texas region. We've had people stung by the sea wasp. And Eric Conji will talk about that. We've had cases off of Florida. So, and anybody been to Hawaii? Hawaii has a sea wasp. That is a, that is a cubozone. And then finally, the anzozoans are not really jellyfish. They're not hydrozoans. They're a whole class themselves. They're the ones that decide to settle on the bottom and attach. And they either are solitary sea anemones, or they make a colony and put a convenient calcium carbonate skeleton around themselves, and that's known as coral. And then finally, the anthozoans are the individual anemones. And why is Nemo not getting stung? Remember for Finding Me, Nemo? You guys must you must have all been two when that came out, right? The classic, right? Right, they had that mucus layer. Every morning, they had, you know, we brush our teeth, they put their mucus layer on, right? They make sure to protect themselves. So it's a symbiotic relationship. They act like a, they're a type of damselfish. They attract other fish to come to the anemone. The anemone eats them. They get to eat the leftovers. It's a really good relationship, and they're protected. And since there's no children in here, I can show this slide. You know, finally appearing a wasasushi down the road, right? right? So that's another way you might run into so they're not completely protected, right? 
<laughs> so as I told you, this whole phylum shares nematocysts. And all nematocysts have a trigger. You hit that trigger and what happens? Bingo. You release a hair that penetrates skin. It, you know, you're talking six G's plus, it can penetrate skin and injects you with venom. And it's barbed so it doesn't come out very easily. I mean, this is a genius. Whoever thought of this? You know, if I had jellyfish, I'd put these up, you know, put this on your bumpers, protect your car. So, this is before it's triggered, this is after it's triggered. See how fast that goes? Bam! That's a hydra that's stimulated. And those things will penetrate your skin. Usually they can't penetrate the um, stratum cornea in your hand. You'll see a lot of people pick up jellyfish with their hand and nothing happens. But, you know, they rub their eye by accident or touch thinner parts of their skin and they get stung. And then it injects venom. So it's really well designed for a stupid glob. Uh, you know, a plastic bag that's floating around. That's pretty good. I'm impressed. And what's the result? Most of us get pain, tingling, swelling, you know, sometimes scars, depending on the kind of jellyfish it is. Other things can happen. There's actually been MIs. A case was published in the Middle East of a young man and with an MI, clean coronary, probably a Takasubo-type reaction. Um, here's another gentleman. This was published in Annals Internal Medicine. 28-year-old. Got stung in St. Thomas, left scapula. 15 minutes later, he had a vesicular eruption, severe pain. 24 hours later, he got jaundice. Five days later, he had a liver and kidney transplant. Bizarre case. I don't know why we don't see this more, because the, the critter that was blamed for this was the giant sea anemone. Anybody dove the, the Caribbean? Those giant anemones? That's my wife in the background. But these things are all over the place. Um, I don't know why we don't get more cases. They sent his blood to Burnett, Professor Burnett, he's a dermatologist in Maryland and maintains a jellyfish registry and he loves to analyze blood for um, antibodies to different jellyfish venoms and he tested it and it was really high for the Caribbean sea anemone. And they also tested this guy for other neuro, uh, liver toxins like acetaminophen. So it's a weird case, kind of an outlier, but something to think about. So what does the massless toxin do? It does all this stuff, it's been reported in different case reports. Probably the most common thing is dermatonecrosis through histamine release and increased permeability. And this gentleman I took care of, he was coming up from a dive and a jellyfish got wrapped around his regulator. And he decided that air was more important than taking his regulator. I would take the regulator out and then clean it off, whatever. And then, yeah, take your, take your buddy or your wife's regulator, you know, screw. But he decided to leave it in his mouth because he was a novice diver. He was too scared of not getting air. I mean, air trumps lip pain, I guess you have to decide. And you can see, you can see the swelling, the edema, a little bit of bullet formation. It's, it's a tissue necrotic toxin, essentially. So how many of you have been to Australia? A few of you, all right. You've been to the northeast part? Did you go in the water? I did. He's brave, and I'll show you why. So, <laughs> you, <laughs> Brave, or I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah, or maybe, yeah, cerebrally challenged? No, we won't go there. <laughs> brave. We'll call it brave. Th things that testosterone makes us do. Anyway, so you see these beautiful beaches in the northeast of Australia. It's tropical. It's lush. It's uncrowded. Great place to set up a resort. Let's go swimming, right? Nobody's swimming. 
Why not? You go up to the bar and you go, hey, is it safe to go swimming out there? And it goes, I don't know, mate. You know, knock yourself out. They don't care, but nobody's swimming. <laughs> and the reason is, it's the tour. They, I guess they wait for the tourists to go out there so they can have stuff to write in the newspaper. But number, not only 50 people have drowned, but two foreign tourists, a Brit and an American, fell victim to deadly jellyfish while swimming, swimming off the Australia coast. So every year there's tourists. I guess it's a ritual. They sacrifice them to the jellyfish gods. People, yeah, the people who live there don't go in the water. That's for tourists. They're beautiful beaches. Nobody's in them. And there's deadly jellyfish out there. And look, for it sets a tentacle, so it's a, it's a killer. It's a cubazone. It's a hunter. And they're about this big, about the size of a half of a loaf of bread. And if you survive, you can end up with permanent scarring. So you see the ladder-like trails. Chironex fleckeri. So when you get to this place, you go, this is stupid. I didn't come 5,000 miles not to go swimming in a beautiful spot. So you go in, you walk down to the beach, and you see appropriate warning signs, right? And, it's, and you look at your watch, and it's summer, or your calendar. So you go, screw it, I'm going in. So you grab the antidote, the vinegar, and you go out in the water. And you take your chances. There's, there's the antidote. And as you go up and down the beach, there's antidote everywhere. There's bottles of vinegar ready to go. Um, did you have your vinegar with you when you went in the water? We went out to the Great Barrier Reef. Oh, okay. They had, the bear, they had some on board? Yeah, but it's not the, the same concentration as the shoreline. Right. The, yeah, these things gather on the shore. That's where people get in trouble. And they do try to put nets in, not only to keep the sharks out, Let's see, the sharks, the freshwater crocodiles that can go in the, I mean, saltwater crocodiles, and also the box jellyfish. Treatment, they give the vinegar because they want to decrease the venom load. When you talk about jellyfish, you need to distinguish two things. One is the release of more nematocysts, and number two is an activation of venom. Those are two different steps. They can be done with the same agent, but not necessarily. The vinegar inactivates more nematocysts from releasing more venom. It doesn't stop the venom from doing its job. It just prevents you from getting further stung. And then they do have an animatomane sheet, but it doesn't seem to work very well. You know, so few people die on the beach every year. So where do people die from jellyfish? Mostly in the South Pacific. Thailand, every year there's a couple deaths there. All along the coast of Australia, um, all the way up toward Japan, the you know, Okinawa area. But we've had a few deaths in the U.S. We had a child die from a sea wasp in Texas. He stumbled on the beach, collapsed, and had a cardiac arrest after being stung. Probably a small sea wasp that lives in the Caribbean. And we had people die along the coast in North Carolina and South Carolina and Florida, wading out in the water and getting stung probably by a man of war. And in those cases, they probably didn't die from the venom. They probably died from anaphylaxis. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a true story. So Roche and Porcher in late 1800s, 1900, were investigators. They were researchers, physiologists. And they had a really cool idea. They wanted to do research. So they talked to the Prince of Monaco and they said, can you please, s'il vous plaît, build us a research facility? So said, sure. So he gives them a research facility to do research. You know, Academy of Sciences in Monaco, that's going to be cool. Make Monaco famous. 
And they go, Ooh, but we need a yacht so we can go research. So they go, okay, we'll give you a yacht, whatever. And they take the yacht and they cross the seven seas and they brought back man of wars. And they took them to the lab and they said, hey, what happens if we inject these into dogs? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you're dog lovers, I'm sorry. And they inject the dogs and not much happened. You know, unless you inject a ton, you know, the whole jellyfish, nothing really happened. And then they kept doing their other experiments and a couple months later they said, hey, bring those dogs, let's inject them again, we want to do it, let's test a different dose. And they inject them, within minutes the dogs started having wheezing, hypotension, and then they would die within an hour. And they go, well, you know, kiss kiss say. You always say when you're in France, get a whore, yeah. So they go, hey, this is remembrance anaphylaxy. This is remembrance of the protein. And that's how anaphylaxis was discovered. It was discovered with the man of war, with a, with a relative of jellyfish. And because of that, not only did they get their research facility, the yacht, but they also got their own two franc stamp. Pretty cool. So. If you want to get a stamp, you got to do the building blocks to get there, okay? So, man of wars, like jellyfish, can give you local effects, but there's also been people, we talked about anaphylaxis, that's where the term came from initially, as well as muscle cramping, and you can see the nastiness these things can do. And remember, friends don't let friends huff the bladder. You know what gas is in here? There's some carbon monoxide in here, so don't huff these things. Go buy spray paint, Can't, you know, go get spray paint like normal people. All right. So, a lot of people said the universal antidote, in fact, when we published a re recent review paper in Annals, Paul Arbach, who's like the marine envenomation guy du jour, right up at Stanford, got, had a fit. He called us and said, you cannot say that vinegar is not the universal antidote. And we said, yes, we can, because you're in Stanford and you can't get us down in San Diego. So, he's a big guy, he could hurt us. But <laughs> so vinegar, it does block some release in the masses, but others it stimulates the release. You know, Chrysostra, which is on this coast, it stimulates the Pacific Physalia, it stimulates. So it is not the universal antidote. And just because it prevents the release in the masses doesn't mean it counters the venom. By the time that somebody gets to your ER, your ED, the venom's over. I mean, that's not the issue. I mean, the, the masses are over. Now the issue is to decrease the effect of the venom. So vinegar is not really the answer. I think it should be reserved mostly in California for fish and chips, even though it's not. So other things I've been advocating, how about baking soda? I mean, it works on your fridge, right? Now, ice packs might decrease the pain. Other meat tenderizer, papain, papaya, you're trying to degrade this stuff. Not really been shown. There's even commercial sprays. So what really works? Well, the first study, if you've been in Hawaii, you need to worry about this baby. This is a sea wasp that lives off Hawaii. And I've talked to people who have been stung by this. They said it was horrible. Excruciating, long-lasting pain. Not a lot of scarring, but a lot of pain. And this is Charybdae. And the, again, what type of jellyfish is this? It's a box. Yeah, it's a cubozoan, so it's nasty. It's got eyes. It's a hunter. And they randomized people. They took pieces of the tentacle and they put it on each other. And they did double arm, literally. Double arm study. <laughs> Pretty genius, right? They took it literally. And one group hot, hot water on their arm, and the other two groups, they didn't have people with three arms, so with some arms they put vinegar, some they put meat tenderizer. In both cases, hot water always beat out meat tenderizer and vinegar. 
Here's their visual analog scale in terms of pain, 0 to 10. Within 20 minutes, the hot water got rid of the pain completely. The, the vinegar didn't do anything. The meat tenderizer didn't do much. They did some, but not a lot. And I think this is just a natural progression of the disease. Now, you might ask, they're kind of wimps because they only got their pain up to 4. When's the last time you saw somebody in the waiting room that had pain scale under 10? It's usually 10 and 10 plus. I mean, that's where our scale starts. So that's, uh, they probably didn't use very much tentacle. So whenever you see a study, you go, does it really make physiological sense? Can we back it up? And the Australians decided to back it up. And what they did is they took box jellyfish and they took volunteer crawdads, crawfish. And in Australia, fluffy animals were protected. You would really have a hard time doing a dog study. So they took crawfish and cut a hole and they went and got the, the Doppler, the field Doppler. And they put it on there and they could monitor the heart rate of these crawdads with it. Pretty ingenious. And then they took Chironex box jellyfish venom at different temperatures and they heated it up. And they bathed the crawdad in the venom. And you can see as soon as the venom starts hitting 40 degrees or 104 Fahrenheit, whether it be for 2, 5, or 10, 20 minutes, its activity drops off precipitously. So it is a heat label toxin. And that's a theme that you're going to see repeatedly with marine toxins. Most of them are heat labile. They either break down or don't work under hot conditions. And usually when I'm talking about hot conditions, I'm talking about 40, 104 degrees Fahrenheit or higher. So we did a double, blind, double arm study. It seems to work. Physiologically, it seems to make sense. Okay, I'll buy that one. But what about other kinds of uh, nematocysts, nadaria or selenorates? Now, here's a study the Australians did. What they did is they took down all the warning signs on the beach one day, sat down on the beach, <laughs> and set up their research station. They had a hot water bath all ready to go at 45 degrees, you know, centigrade. And another area, they had ice packs. And as people came gasping out of the water, screaming in pain, they said, hey, mate, no worries. Just sign up for our study and we'll treat you. So I guess our IRBs are a little bit different. So... <laughs> You sign up and you get treated. You get randomized to either hot water or ice packs. I mean, here are some of the lesions in some of their subjects. These people got stung. And which do you think worked better? Hot water. They, did, they looked at clinically important pain reduction, which is about 30%, 30 to 40%, depending on where you start. And within 20 minutes, almost all the people that got hot water had pain relief. So hot water for scyphozoans, for cubozoans, is starting to look pretty good. And we just recently, we had one of our med students publish a series look in annals looking at all the jellyfish papers out there. And the one thing we found is that it, the data agrees. Vinegar is not the universal antidote. It has to be based on the jellyfish. But one thing that seems to work a lot really well for all jellyfish is hot water. And another thing that might work is lidocaine. There's one paper out there with an N of two or three. They looked under the microscope and they noticed that lidocaine prevent the release in the masses and also decrease the pain. So somebody just needs to go out and do another double arm study with lidocaine and jellyfish. So if you, want to, if you need a research study, if you can beat us to it, somebody needs to do it. I think Paul Arbach's getting ready to study it. We're getting ready to study it. We want to beat it. Is somebody here studying this already? So let's see who can beat, win this game to find out what is the true antidote. And maybe there is a universal antidote for all nematocysts that inactivates the nematocysts from releasing more and prevents the, the venom from doing damage. Or do a combination, do hot boiling lidocaine as another, well, well, <laughs> hot warm lidocaine.
then you have the best of both worlds. Then we find that warm lidocaine works better for anesthesia too. So, so hot water seems to provide relief. It penetrates the skin. It inactivates biotoxin, other potential agents. Was versus minimal study N of three with lidocaine and maybe vinegar for selected cases. Now let's talk about another disease called urocongee. So again, tourists go to Australia. They don't know better. They go in the water. They think the beach is beautiful. And they end up here's Robert Keane from Columbus, Ohio. U.S. tourist has become the second foreign visitor to die this year in Australia from urocongee. He died. The sting brought up a rapid rise in blood rate, blood, heart rate, and blood pressure, leading to cerebral hemorrhage. So he died after being stung by a little jellyfish. So anybody here ever gotten the Darwin Award <laughs> or want to admit to it? Well, you, you wouldn't be here if you had the Darwin Award, right? What do you have to do to get the Darwin Award? Before, right, before you pass down your genes. Good. <laughs> you got it. Well, this is an honorable mention because he didn't get the Darwin Award. Obviously, he lived. So in 1997, Jack Barnes of Cairns, Australia, that's the same area I showed you, Australia, that northeast corner where everything dangerous lives. You know, if you don't get bit by the brown snake or the funnel web spider, you go in the water, or you get eaten by the uh, uh, saltwater crocodile, then you die from the sharks or from, you know, or from the jellyfish. Now, people were setting up nets for the box jellyfish and for the sharks, but every once in a while, somebody would come in excruciating pain, screaming in pain, sweating, nausea, hypertension, and they couldn't figure out why. So they postulated that something must be getting through the nets. And one day, he found a little jellyfish that got through the net. He said, no worries. I'll test this on myself, and I'll prove once and for all if this jellyfish is responsible for Urkanji syndrome. Now, if you're going to do that, you... If he's an adult male, he has children. What are you going to do if you want the Darwin Award? You don't do a half-assed half job, job, right? You then sting your 14-year-old son. Wow. Now, you really want to make sure you get the Darwin Award, right? So what do you do? Get the local lifeguard involved, right? That way, nobody can save you. And then that way, maybe you'll get a beach named after you or something. You'll get a little plaque. <laughs> they all ended up in the ICU that night, overnight, and he got the jellyfish named, the, the box jellyfish named after him now. <laughs> Barn's eye. This is the jellyfish they discovered. It's about the size of a thimble, and that's what was getting through all these nets. And will this work on here? Oh, well, that's okay. We'll skip it. Oh, just. Oh, shoot. Let me just get to my slide. Okay, that's Australia. Who cares? It's not going to bother us in the U.S. We're safe. You know, we have TSA. We're safe. We have F-14 fighters. You know. But here's several years ago, Case Series published out of Annals looking at Navy SEAL divers. They went out at night to do some kind of secret mission probably, you know, infiltrating Cuba. And then they came back, and three of them were screaming in pain when they came out of the water. These are tough guys. They don't scream, let alone whimper. And they were in excruciating pain, hypertension. They had all the classic signs of Urukanji syndrome. So the jellyfish is there. 
And that type of jellyfish could just as easily be on our coast, too, one day. So there's, it's not just an Australian phenomenon anymore. And it's called Urukanji after a tribe that described this disease in Australia years ago. Um, you know, one of the Maori tribe, one of the um, Aboriginal tribes. So Urukanji, 50% of people have hypertension, abdominal cramps, back pain, vomiting. Everything's been tried. You can give all the morphine you want. People are still excruciating pain. Um, now, to tell you that all jellyfish are not bad enough to get us, anybody been to Palau? Well, if you go to Palau, you have to go to this inland ocean or sea that's been trapped for over a million years. So you go into the South Pacific, you, you climb over a mountain, you climb down into this inland ocean that's locked from the rest of the world for over a million years, and it's wall-to-wall -wall jellyfish. And you can go swimming with them. There's my wife swimming, and she's not getting stung at all. And it's not because I gave her 10 of morphine before she went in the water. It's because they've lost their stinging capability, right? Why not? What do they do? They don't need to die. There's nothing that's going to hurt them in there. They're protected by the state now, by Palau. You're not allowed to mess with them. You're not allowed to scuba dive in there because they don't want you to hurt them. And none of them have stinging cells. So how are they getting their food? Photosynthesis. They all have zoanthellae living in their tentacles. And other jellyfish, like in Florida, there's upside-down jellyfish, Cassiopeia. You'll see them lying on the bottom of the Everglades, sitting there sunning themselves, not eating. They also use zoanthellae. So the parallel evolutions happen in multiple sites among jellyfish. And why waste energy making stinging cells and venom? You're not going to get to use it. Give it up. You know, hang it up, man. Join the crowd. Swim around. Enjoy the sun. <laughs> and that's what they do. All right, let's talk about puncture wounds now. Um, this is a guy that came in what do you, with pain in both feet. What do you think he's been walking on? Urchin. Urchins, right. You ever taken care of urchin stings? Okay, I thought I was a genius. I was working on, I was on duty in the Middle East by myself one day. Um, I had this guy, both feet covered with urchin spines. I go, I'm going to do a posterior turbial nerve block. Maybe I'll throw in a sural nerve block, both feet. You watch this. I'm going to get out these, all these urchin spines. This guy's going to be great. Mistake number one. Number two is not realizing that when I'm fooling around doing all these blocks, the waiting room's building up, and I'm by myself. And number three, I didn't realize when you start chasing these stupid things, what happens? Everybody tried? Yeah, they crumble. They're calcium carbonate usually, and they just crumble. I'm wasting my time. I'm not doing this guy any favors, and I'm just hurting my flow. So, yeah, he was stung by a sea urchin, and the problem with sea urchin is twofold. One is the foreign body, or the spines, and some of the spines have venom, so you can get pain from them. So you can get pain, swelling, erythema, delay, you can end up with a granuloma. That would be the time I would chase after a spine. I'm not going after these things ever. And what we told this guy, if they have a lot of pain early on, since most venoms are heat label, go with hot water. Either retain spines, try some vinegar soaks is what we did with this guy. In a couple weeks, he cleared the spines and did fine. Uh, exploration would be my last resort, especially acutely. All right, let me give you another story. Another physician, you know, shows you. Always physicians getting in trouble. This guy was on a cruise in the Caribbean, and he comes in with a painful foot, had been swimming in warm coastal waters. Vital signs, his blood pressure is up a little from the pain. And here's the foot. What do you think? You've seen this here, right? What do you step on? Stingray, right? So here's the wound, and you can see the venom's already having an effect. He's got a bullet, he's got pain. What's the antidote for this? 
Yeah, what do you guys use? Hot water. Yep. Um, you also have the foreign body issue, right? Which ended up in somebody's pericardium. And I've talked to the Australians. They've had other cases where kids have ended up with spines in their pericardium. They send them home. Oh, you just have a puncture wound here. They send them home. They come back with pericardial tamponade. So this is not a... a Steve Irwin's death was not a freak accident. I don't know if you know how he died. He got stung in the chest by one of the barbs. So stingrays, as you know, have one to three spines. And they do the one-two maneuver. You step on it, and they hit you. Anybody been stung here? Yeah, I've been stung multiple times. <laughs> Not on purpose. Some things I do on purpose. I was so happy the day I got stung. I came running out of the water. The pain was excruciating, but I go, this is great because I'm going to lecture on stingrays in a week. This is perfect. Um, so, God loves me. <laughs> so, stingrays, scorpion fish, catfish, weaver fish. So, you're not, if you think you can go inland and go noodling, you ain't safe. Catfish are going to get you. So, lock your door. Doesn't matter where you live. They have venomous spines too. Noodling. You, guys, you guys noodle? No, maybe that's what Ohio is. Oh, yeah. yeah Ohio could be a lot of catfish. You're right. Oh, you're right. Texas. Good. Texas. We are doing a prospective study on stingrays. Really? Cool. Because it's like the stingray of the world. Because you have such high density in the summer and cluelessness. And cluelessness, yeah. And they like to breed there. Yeah, what I find in the summer, they all come to my, my surf beach. They all come into the shallow water and have their, you know... They're a dating fest. They're, let's do lunch fest. But really? So you already have a control. Cool. That's good. That'd be good because I don't think we don't have a big enough series published on stingrays. And if you can follow them prospectively, see number one if you want to treat them for, with antibiotics or not. Are you going to treat them or not? You have to decide that too. So good. And whether you want to X-ray them or not, if, you know the foreign body issue. So stingrays have an enzymatic. They start destroying tissue. You get pain, necrosis, or even cases of cardiovascular toxicity. Usually not. But there was a child. They got a big wallop. And as I told you, they can have anywhere from one to three spines. And they grow them back. At SeaWorld, there's somebody who's in charge of clipping the spines. And then they grow back and they clip them again. Because we're the official toxicologist of SeaWorld. And there's a whole pool of stingrays. And you can pat them and play with them. They've had their spines removed. Do they make the point to parents and children who are petting the stingrays to, that this is... Let them know that this is... <laughs> this is artificial and you can't do this, just do this at home? I don't know. Because I've always wondered about this idea that they're all being, you know, that we're studying the stingray stings, and yet there's this petting zoo. And it's like, wait a minute, something doesn't work. That's good, injury prevention. That's good. You're just taking... That, that's what's great about emergency medicine when we start thinking about the box and the impact of that. Yeah, may I do a toothless great white shark swimming experience? <laughs> oh, look <laughs> for kids. <laughs> Remove their teeth and then you can play with them and then put dentures in them. <laughs> That's a good point. Well taken. And this is your attitude after you've been stung. But the point here is you may end up with just a flesh wound, just a flesh wound, or you may end up with a flesh wound with a foreign body. And the question is, how do you decide? You know, when somebody has a puncture wound, are you going to go in or you're not? And are you going to go in or are you going to set a timer or not? After 20, 20 year plus years, my tendency is not to go in. You know, because acutely, unless you really think there's foreign body in there, it'll declare itself in two days and then you can go dig around for it before you start damaging things and wasting time. Because most of the time there's not going to be a foreign body. You could, 
you know, here's my foot. I got stung twice in the same day, and the pain was out of proportion. You can see the erythema and the puncture wound, but it hurt. That thing was like 10 bee stings at one time. And as soon as I put it in hot boiling water, it felt great except for the burns, but it felt great. You know what the weird thing is? As soon as the water got lukewarm, the pain came back, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me because if it's heat labile and I destroy the toxin, is it changing the conformation? Or maybe there's a depot. It doesn't make sense to me. So it must not operate well in hot water, but it must not destroy the toxin itself completely. So there's our hot water. Um, now, stingrays are not oxtheichthys. Most of you eat oxtheichthys. Those are the bony fish. Stingrays are like sharks, they're cartilaginous, they do not have bones. And you'd think that you wouldn't be able to see the spine, which is made out of cartilage on an x-ray. But you can sometimes see a shadow of an ear or a nose, you know, a septum. And you can sometimes see a shadow, the cartilage of the spine. So you may... Well, we're trying to set that up. We got all the spines that they cut off at SeaWorld, they gave them to us. And we start sticking them into, um, what, what were we using, pigs? Pig feet. Pig feet, right. And we did half a centimeter, we can't find them. And we didn't put them very deep. So we're going to try to use more fresher flat. The, the pigs have been frozen. Maybe that was screwing things up. Or do phantoms or something. But I, we had one case where we could see it on ultrasound, in a real case. But when we, we're trying to do a study right now, we're not picking it up very well. We're going to go to one centimeter. So I guess it would be useful to know that you can't see it on ultrasound, too. I don't know. Uh, oh, the company, one of the companies is going to send us a super-duper ultrasonic, supertonic uh, probe that has very high frequency, very... See, see if we can find Yeah, But you can't order that as a $10,000 probe every time you want to look for stingrays. But it might be something to consider. So consider exploration, I say, at your own risk. And whenever you explore anybody for any foreign body, what do you always do? You set a clock. You look at the waiting room and you set a clock because it's always going to take you longer than you thought to go after anything in life. So just set, set a timetable because otherwise you're going to be there two hours, three hours, and your time's going to fly and you're going to still be digging around. You know, all those people go, oh, there's a bullet right there. You can get it. Oh, yeah, right. You start chasing it. Good luck. So I wait a couple days. Tell, if I don't think there's a foreign body in there, you know, I look at it. Maybe I'll do an x-ray or maybe... The ultrasound, I say in two days you start getting redness, swelling, gets worse, come back and then we'll explore it. You know, there's always a chance there's a retain, retained foreign body in there. I don't want to fillet everybody's foot open just to find uh, something that's going to run away from me. Other fish can also sting. This is a woman that had, this is the time of HMO, so she had to drive across town to see me because of her HMO. We were in her district and she came in with this big swollen hand and this is a lionfish sting. And as you know, lionfish are very popular ornamental fish for aquariums. Well, what do they do when you put a lionfish in an aquarium? It eats all the other fish. And also, this happens to you when you try to clean the water or work on the aquarium. And she had excruciating pain. As soon as we put her in hot water, she got better. The water started getting lukewarm. She goes, Dr. Crit, Dr. T, my hand's starting to hurt more. Here, well, here, just sit next to the sink. You run the hot water. Knock yourself out. So... And the hot water took care of it. But you have to act, come in contact with the fish to get stung, not just the Right. Water. has to be the spines, either the anal, the dorsal, or the pectoral spines. So all those spines are all over the place. So you go, that's the Indian Ocean. Who cares about lionfish? Big deal. Well, you're going to get an aquarium, so that, that you may get it that way. People fly in from places where they've been stung. But number three is, 
This is the other problem. I don't know if you know about this problem. Aliens versus predator. Uh, nobody wins in this, right? Does the planet get destroyed? I never saw the movie. But one morning I woke up in North Carolina, and this was the newspaper on my front doorstep, and I knew alien predator in base North Carolina. I go, kids, you're not going to school today. We locked the front door. We, we sheltered in place. We put duct tape around the windows. It's, it happened, finally. I knew Armageddon was coming. And here it was. Alien predator invades North Carolina. The poisonous lionfish, an aggressive addition to the Atlantic. Before the 90, 1990, 1990s, there were no lionfish in the Atlantic Ocean. Zero. Zilch. And something happened. And the theory is that somebody had a bunch of ornamental aquariums by the water, and a hurricane came through and broke several of them, and the lionfish ended up in the water. The other urban myth, myth out there is that people used to put them at dive sites to make it pretty cool to dive there. You'd see lionfish. I find that hard to believe because I would think the fish would be swept up by the Gulf Stream, you know. And look at this. They go out at the Gulf Stream. They like warm water. They stay out in deep water so people don't get stung on the beach. They get stung when they go diving or when they try to catch these things. And they're going for the financial district, <laughs> New York. I knew it. They're not stupid fish. So, good thing I locked the door that day. That, in 1993, one dive brought up these invaders, 40 invaders on one dive they found. And I don't know if you've been diving anybody in the Caribbean, but now there's a bounty on these things, and they're trying to get people to eat them. You know, dead or alive, lionfish. And now, from this small release at the tip of Florida, They've taken over the whole Caribbean. And they're called lionfish for a reason. And it's not because they roar. It's because they eat everything. Everything and anything. So they just consume it all. So people are trying to get you to do, you know, they have, they have big banners all over the place. Scorpion fish is another fish that can sting you. Has poisonous spine. We have a relative of the scorpion fish. It's called the California sculpin. Anybody ever eaten one or caught one? I used to spear fish when I was a kid. Have you? <laughs> oh, the beer. Sculpin beer, right? <laughs> but that's an IPA. <laughs> Too much hops. All right. So we had the California sculpin. A year ago, we had a gentleman caught one off the coast of San Diego, grabbed it with his hand, and got stung. Had pain, swelling, collapsed on deck, and coated. They ran the boat back to shore, brought him up the hill to Hillcrest to R.E.D., coated him all the way, gave him a bunch of epi, he died. So you could say he died because of a scorpion fish. Well, at autopsy, he had three coronary disease. So I don't know if it precipitated his heart attack. He was about to have it and it gave him a stress test. But it's kind of interesting. He, got, he died right after he got stung. So I'm sure it contributed to his death. He had a massive MI. So scorpion skeins... They release venom. You can get pain, swelling, erythema, blistering, necrosis. The lionfish does this. Scorpion fish does this. And all these animals have venom glands. And when you push your hand into it, it squeezes this, and the venom gets squirted out in one direction, one-way direction, into your hand, leg, whatever gets stung. And it breaks down tissue. Luckily, it's heat labile, hot water. Somebody's still screaming in pain. You can try a little bupivacaine give you long-lasting relief. And then always think about foreign bodies. And the reason you think about foreign bodies goes to catfish. Now, do we talk about, anybody ever got catfish, um, fishing for catfish? You're not a very culturally diverse group, are you? 
catfish, man. You've had catfish, right? Yeah. You go noodling for catfish, right? What's noodling? You put your you arm... You cave underwater. Wait for it to grab under your hand, and then you grab it by the heels and pull it out. Yeah, you wait for this big fish <laughs> to grab your arm, start to eat it. And once it starts to eat it, you're, you're the bait, essentially. You go, oh, we're going to have catfish for hunt dinner, honey. Get, that, get the oil cooking, heating. You pull your arm out, and you got, voila, catfish. You don't, that, that's the easy way to catch them. Plus, you don't want to grab them because they have venomous spines on the dorsum and the ventral, the pectoral. So that way you don't get hurt. And catfish have small teeth. So, you know, what's catfish bite? Big deal. What are you, a wimp? Why do they call it noodling? Because you make your finger, I think you move your finger like a noodle and it thinks it's a bait. It thinks it's a worm or something. So there's a whole catfish hunter series show. I mean, this stuff is so famous. There's a reality TV series on catfish hunting and they show they take young women out there to catch catfish yeah i just watch pawn stars not <laughs> <laughs> well expand your horizons <laughs> right so again just tissue destructive cause pain and swelling now they went to a catfish processing plant and they looked at a three people that got stung by their catfish while they were working on them 33 had retained spines i had one gentleman come into my ed in charlotte he had pain and swelling two days after going catfish fishing. And he said, my, my palm, my hypothenia hurts a lot. We didn't say that, but um, probably not. And I got an x-ray, and what do you see? Retained spine. So catfish are oxyichthys. They are bony fish. They're not cartilaginous. They should show up on x-ray, especially if it's big enough spine. He went to the OR. Hand took him to the OR to open up this thing, explore and clean it out. It was infected. It was a mess. So there was a retained foreign body. All right. So all these foreign bodies, we need to worry about infection as well. Another day's work. What organism do you suspect in a cirrhotic fisherman who presents a septic shock four days after a leg wound? What are you worried about in this guy? Vibrio. Absolutely. Good job. Gives you hemorrhagic bullous lesions. It's a gram-negative curved rod. Kenneth Creamer, 52, died late Thursday in a hospital. We've been treated two days after he exposed to Vibrio. He slipped on the dock on a fishing trip. Legs had to be amputated. He went into a coma and died within a, five days. He was dead from Vibrio. So sources are raw oysters, any aquatic wound. Liver patients are especially susceptible as they are to most you know, uh, bacterial infections. You can treat orally with Cipro or Doxy. The question is, do you prophylax saltwater wombs? We don't know. And maybe you'll be able to figure out some of that out because I bet it's going to be random, probably random, not randomized, but random who gets antibiotics and who doesn't. You know, I don't always give antibiotics for uh, seawater wounds. I mean, if that was true, every, every day when you go surfing, you always get cut. You know, we don't, you know, those surfers don't show up. Um, you know, I got this. Uh, third generation cephalosporins may help as well. They're really sick or imipenem or something like that. But if you have a wound that's worrisome, that's getting infected, in addition to MRSA, you need to think about coverage for Vibrio. Here's a, this was a video consult for me from across the country. I forget where this guy was. He had been diving in some tropical area, and he had this chronic non-healing wound on his leg where he brushed up against the coral. It wouldn't get better. Any thoughts? It's not getting better. It's granulomatous. Doesn't hurt. What are you thinking? Yep, Mycobacterium marinum. Can be any aquarium can give you this. You know, people get it on their hands. 
And the problem with this is it's hard to treat. It takes three months. So if you get a granulomatous skin lesion from somebody who's been working with an aquarium. So I think that t ends up our aquatic envenomation discussion. So for jellyfish, by the time they reach you or you get home or on the beach, they already have the hot water for stingrays. At a lot of lifeguard stations in San Diego already have hot water set up every summer when everybody comes to La Jolla Cove. I guess your beaches are randomized. Some do, some don't. <laughs> so that's good. I'm not convinced. You're going to get a box jellyfish in northeast Australia, fine vinegar. Otherwise, um, I think hot water is fine. And then puncture wounds, hot water. Think about delayed exploration for foreign bodies. Don't forget about the foreign body. And then remember unusual infections with the ocean. Think about Vibrio coverage for that. You may want a, a bad wound in an area like a hand that you think is really prone to infection. You might want to think of prophylaxis with Cipro or Doxy. And then I guess the nice thing about Doxy might cover some of your MRSA as well, depending on your sensitivities here. And that's a stingray going off into the, the sunset. The end. Thanks. Uh,